Okay. Uh, good afternoon to everybody. <laughs> anyway, so today we're going to have a class on person and society. Okay, now, here is our class outline this afternoon. We're going about to talk about the social nature of human beings and then about society, <clears throat> authority, common good, and then society and the transcendent dimension of individuals and the Catholic participation in public life. So first, we'll talk about the social nature of human beings. Okay, so God created man to be a social being. It's not just that God created man. God created man to be a social being. So that is why I suppose when he created um, Adam, he also created Eve. So there was a, well, an interaction there between Adam and Eve. So he meant man, man to be um, socially active. So this is intrinsic to human nature and humans can only grow and attain their calling in life only in union with others. So in the light of our faith, this makes sense because it is God who created us and this and man's being a social and man being a social being mirrors the intimate life of the Holy Spirit and the communion that should exist among mankind. So we know that it, uh, God created us and that God, in God, there are three persons in one God. In that entity, you know, there is um, interaction going on between the three persons. And then each person, each of us is called to exist for the other. So we have to become a gift to the other, existing for others entails much more than just coexisting with them. It means serving and loving them. So a personal and collective effort is needed to develop social relationships correctly. So the, the social nature of human beings does not automatically lead to communion among persons. It does not automatically lead to the gift of self. And we very well know that. Because of pride and selfishness, man discovers in himself the seed of a social behavior, meaning uh, mean a social versus social, no? So a social behavior, impulses which lead him to close himself within his own individuality and to dominate his neighbor. So therefore, the real possibility of constructing a society worthy of the human person depends on the interior growth of men and women. So there are many different human goals as well as bonds that unite people. We were saying that there are bonds of love, ethnicity, language, country, and culture. There are also human relationships where, where we see a wide mosaic of institutions and associations. So we see the association of the family or of the city or of the state. 
and we also have the global community. So the clothes we have, for example, right now, uh, we hear it very often that NATO as an association of um, what? Mostly European countries. And then, um, So the close tie between the person and life in society explains the enormous influence of society on the development of each person and the harm that is done to the human person by living in a defectively organized society. So the way people behave depends to some, to some extent on the way society is organized which exerts a cultural influence on people. So while never reducing the human being to an anonymous element in society, it is good to remember that the integral development of the human person and social progress mutually influence one another. In order to undo unjust systems and Christianize professional relationships and the entire society, the diligent effort to leave the moral norms intrinsic to one's professional work is very important. And this is also a necessary condition for sanctifying that professional work. Well, an individual's influence on society is best felt no? in his contribution to his family and to his profession and how he has um, lived his family life and his professional life. Now we go to authority. So every human community needs an, an authority to govern it. So the foundation of such authority lies in human nature. It is necessary for the unity of the state and its role is to ensure as far as possible the common good of society. We were saying that being social or having a social nature is a property of human nature. And we know that God is the author of human nature. Therefore, all legitimate authority stems from God. However, the choice of the political regime and the appointment of ruler, rulers are left to the free decision of the citizens. So the moral legitimacy of authority does not stem from itself, but rather from being God's servant and is ordered to the common good. Those who have been given authority should exercise it as a service, practice distributive justice, avoid favoritism and self-seeking, and never act despotically. So while public authority can sometimes choose not to put a stop to something which, where it prohibited would cause more serious harm, it can never presume to legitimize as a right of individuals even if they are the majority of the members of society, an offense against other persons 
caused by the disregard of so fundamental a right as the right to life. No? So even if the majority there of people in, in the U.S. have voted that women should have the right to abort their baby. They have a right to their own body and they have the right to make the decision whether to continue with the pregnancy or not. Here it's saying that even if majority of members of society are for it, it is, um, it is still an offense against other people because of the disregard of the right to life, of the fundamental right to life of man. So with regard to political systems, the church values the democratic system inasmuch as it ensures the participation of citizens in making political choices and guarantees to the governed the possibility both of electing and holding accountable those who govern them. So that a state is a democracy is part of the common good, but the value of democracy stands or falls with the values which it embodies and promotes. So, of course, values such as the dignity of every human person, respect for the invaluable and inalienable human rights are certainly fundamental and not, should not be ignored. So a democracy without values easily turns into open or thinly disguised totalitarianism. So it doesn't mean that just because it's a democracy, then it is very good or that it is, uh, it caters to the common good. Um, it depends on the values which that democracy espouses. So there we're saying that the authority should ser exercise service distributive justice, avoid favoritism and self-seeking and never act despotically. So now we talk about the common good. So the common good is the sum total of social conditions which allow people either as groups or as individuals to reach their fulfillment more fully and more easily. Common good is not only a matter of material well-being, but also the spiritual well-being of the individual. Because we say that a person is made of matter and spirit. So what is good for the person should be good for both the matter, his matter, his body, and his spirit. So what are the three essential elements of the common good? First, we have to respect the human person and his or her freedom, even her freedom to do what is bad. That is to respect the human person. And then social progress and the integral human development of, the, of people. So these are essential elements of the common good. And then lastly, it has to foster peace that is the stability and security of a just order. So it seems that right now, the peace that we all uh, aspire for is in danger. So we all have to work 
and pray for the common good of people so that we will all um, enjoy peace. So given the human being social nature and the good of each person is necessarily related to the common good, which in turn should be directed to each one's progress. I remember, well, um, um, well, the views of Lee Kuan Yew, the former premier of president of Singapore. And he said that the rise of Singapore in the, in the last 50 years was made possible by the peace and stability that came about after World War II. So that is, um, he felt essential to why Singapore was able um, to, to create, to, de to develop in 50, 50 years from a non-entity to a developed country. So now we go to society and the transcendent dimension of individuals. What does transcendent mean? I had to look that up. So transcendent means uh, spiritual, um, to do to society in the spiritual dimension of individuals, to transcend your material nature. So this is the deepest truth about the person and the ground of all human dignity is the fact that man is created in the image and likeness of God and called to communion with him. So in the measure that the religious roots of a community are lost sight of, interpersonal relationships become more tense and violent since the moral force needed to act rightly is weakened or even lost. So a stable social order requires an unwavering foundation that is not at the mercy of changing opinions or the hunger for power. Only belief in God can provide an unshakable foundation for society. Hence, the importance of not separating or even worse, placing in opposition the religious and social dimensions of the human person. So both aspects, social and religious, uh, about the truth of the human person need to be harmoniously fostered. The sincere search for God and the concern for one's neighbor and the progress of society. Therefore, there is this indispensable need for spiritual growth in order to further society's development. Social renewal is nourished by contemplation because the encounter with God in prayer introduces a mysterious force into society, into history, that changes hearts and moves people to convert, thus providing the energy needed to transform social systems. So to strive to bring about social change without a serious effort to change one's own life only leads to disillusionment in the end, and often even lowers the level of people's lives. And we should also not forget 
that the effort to construct a just social order ennobles the person who endeavors to bring this about. So now let's talk about Catholics in public life. So the effort to foster the common good and each one's, each in one's own place and role in society is a duty inher in, inherent in the dignity of the human person. So therefore, as far as possible, citizens should take an active part in public life. And right now, what is before us is the elections in May. So we all have to see how we can participate in this electoral exercise. So this participation in public life requires, first of all, the responsible fulfillment of one's family and professional duties and the obligations of legal justice. So what are examples of obligations of legal justice? I think an example are paying your taxes and then voting. It also means practicing the human virtues in solidarity with others. So given the interdependence of people and human groups, participation in public life should be carried out with a spirit of solidarity, striving for the good of others. Because social economic problems can be resolved only with the help of all the forms of solidarity. Solidarity of the poor among themselves, between the rich and the poor, and of workers among themselves, between employers and employees in a business. Solidarity among nations and peoples. International solidarity is a requirement of the moral order because world peace depends in part upon this. So although solidarity should encompass all women and men, the duty of making oneself a neighbor to others and actively serving them becomes even more urgent when it involves the disadvantaged in whatever area this may be. So as citizens, faith, the, we, the faithful, have the same rights and duties as, their as our fellow citizens, but we bear a special responsibility as Catholics. We can never abdicate this responsibility. And therefore, we, the faithful, should take part in political life. So this participation is particularly needed in order to permeate social, political, and economic realities with the demands of Christian doctrine and life. So given that the reality that that civil laws often fail to accord with the church's teaching, and we, saw, we see this globally, Catholics should do all they can with the help of other citizens of goodwill to rectify these laws, always acting within legitimate channels and with charity. In any case, their conduct should always be guided by Catholic teaching, even when society may present obstacles since we must obey God rather than men. So in summary, Catholics should diligently exercise their civil rights and fulfill their duties. 
This falls specially to the lay faithful who are called to sanctify the world from within with personal initiative and responsibility without waiting for the hierarchy to resolve problems with civil authorities or to indicate the solutions they should adopt. So this area is left to the hands of the faithful. 